Hello, this is your host, Marion Robinson. And on the second episode, I will be discussing a reflection of utilizing CBT strategies, cognitive behavioral therapy strategies. As I discussed in the first episode, CBT, our cognitive behavior therapy techniques and strategies can be used in the classroom outside of a therapeutic setting. And as I reflect over the many students I've interacted with, I can truly say that my most memorable and most meaningful teaching experiences have been serving our disenfranchised students, the underdog students, the students who give teachers complete hell in the classroom. And it's not by any fault of their own. See, one thing I learned as a novice teacher is that parents are going to send you the very best that they have. And we have to accept those students. We have to embrace those students. And we have to show those students love. And we have to show them a better way. A way to self-regulate and self-monitor their emotions and their feelings. The 10 years that I was in the classroom, I can only think of maybe one school year where my classroom was not touched by a character. That was your student that we typically look at as the class clown, the disruptive student, the student that the teacher from the previous year comes to you at the beginning of the school year when everybody's standing around waiting on the schedules and the class list and they come to you and say, ooh, Miss Robinson, that one right there, he's going to be a doozy. And, you know, I used to involve myself in that. I used to go to the teacher that was receiving my students and give her a complete rundown on what Johnny did and what Sally said. But after becoming more immersed in research and reading and book studies and finding out about these CBT strategies, I stopped at EO practice because we have to give students a clean slate. Not just every year, but every day when those students walk into our classrooms, we have to forget about the day before and give them a clean slate, a new opportunity to prove themselves. As a new teacher, I found out about a lot of acronyms, a lot of letters that I knew nothing about before entering education. Titles such as EMD, Emotionally Disturbed Students. Titles such as OD, 
oppositional defiance students. And the classic label, just B-A-D, bad. And those students, regardless to what labels they have or what diagnosis they may have been given, they're coming to your classrooms. They're coming to your early childhood education classrooms and centers. They're coming to your intermediate classrooms, your middle school, high school, and even some adults still exhibit those behaviors. That's why it's so important to introduce these strategies to students as young as six and seven years old, to give them that foundation, to show them that despite what society says and despite your home setting and despite everything that you may face that is causing you to exhibit these inappropriate behaviors and act out in these inappropriate ways that block learning and bar students from excelling. No matter what, there are some things that you can do. There are some thoughts that you can have. But we have to introduce students to be accepting of emotions and feelings. So many of our young students, they don't even know about emotions or feelings. Just the basic vocabulary. A CBT strategy that I first started out with was as simple as introducing students to a feelings chart. And I know you're saying, I have the huge, enormous task of teaching these kids academics, the math, the reading, the science. However, something as simple as using a uh, an emotions chart can be embedded into your reading class, your reading lessons, your vocabulary lessons. You can even turn those emotions or those feeling words into spelling words. Or you can sit in your small groups with your students and use those emotions and feeling words to sound out and work on phonemic awareness. So as I reflect, I think about when I was a a kindergarten teacher and I had two particular students in my kindergarten class that um, were very difficult students. Um, It was very obvious that they did not have secure attachments. It was very obvious that they were lacking a lot of social skills. They did not know how to resolve conflict at all. Now I know that there are some things that students do that are that are given with their age range. You know, students will sometimes be in that um, 
in that state of thinking where it's all about me, it's mine, mine, mine. However, I have seen where those same students, after talking to them and front-loading them with this information, that a little light bulb starts to come on and peep through and they begin to start sharing and might even start exhibiting some signs of empathy on the playground when a a child falls down and scrapes his knee instead of them laughing and just being little children and doing what little children do you actually see students go over to that child that has fallen and scraped their knee and ask them, are they okay? Now, the the biggest theme of CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, that you want to really embed in students is that when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. Because once again, as I stated in the previous episode, you're connecting thoughts, feelings, and actions. So this one particular student of mine, former student, kindergarten student, we'll call him Student X. Um, He was one of those students that uh, wore the label of oppositional defiant. And oppositional defiant students can be on a level of where they just go up and and hit somebody and knock them upside their head for no earthly reason at all to where uh, they can go from zero to 10 really quick. And and so I had that student, uh, student X, where he was very unpredictable and a lot of his unpredictableness stemmed from his home life. This particular student, like I said, he was a kindergarten student and he lived with his grandmother. His mother had basically abandoned him. He did not have a um, relationship with his father fatherless Uh, so this this poor baby was in a situation where he um, did not have a secure attachment he didn't have a secure attachment from the beginning Uh, mama had him and grandmother took him from the hospital and he was with her from that point on Uh, and, and grandmother did the best that she could However, she didn't have the um, the best uh, living arrangements or conditions. And, uh, you know, you have these grandmothers that have raised their own children. So they're tired. They're tired. And so she wasn't spending that quality time with that child and building up that capacity in that child because the main thing that she was trying to do was just provide that child the basics 
of a roof over his head and some food in his stomach. And so this child acted out every single day. I mean, we talk about what students can't do so much at particular ages, but when you can have a kindergarten student that can curse you out in a complete sentence, then that that shows there's potential for so much more in some of our children at certain ages. Um, so this little this little guy, student X, uh, he he gave me a run for my money. Uh, it it was some days I was so frustrated because I had to spend a lot of one on one time with him, and my teacher assistant that I had, she would uh, run the groups, the centers, uh, because I, I had a responsibility to this student. As young as kindergarten, these students are coming in already diagnosed. So when you have young students that come in with these labels and these diagnoses and you have to do these behavior intervention plans, the BIPs and the uh, FBAs, the functional behavioral assessments, you, you have an obligation because you have to provide modifications and accommodations and you have to document what you are doing to support this student. And what a lot of people don't realize um, in, in most of the school settings that I've been in, the majority of our students that have IEPs are not because of academics, but they are because of behavioral issues. And so those students are given an individualized education plan, which comes with the teacher providing these modifications and accommodations to modify this student's behavior, help to modify it, um, and, and, uh, and accommodate, help them accommodate themselves. So... I had to show proof in lesson plans as well as um, when the behavioral specialists would come around. Uh, and then around that time, we started doing uh, RTI um, documentation. So you really had to be on your game to um, to show and prove that, that you were doing what you were supposed to do to provide services or accommodations and modifications rather for these students. And RTI is response to interventions, which now we have these tier levels, tier one, tier two, and tier three behavior. So at the time when I was teaching this student, RTI was fairly new. Um, to the general public. Um, we didn't have the universal screeners that we use now where all students are screened. And, uh, you know, there are indications that show elevations in students, whether they have uh, external risk uh, factors or internal risk factors. So we were basically just going off of the reports that we would get uh, where parents had taken students to outside psychiatrists 
or psychologists, and so they were given these diagnoses. So once the parents brought that in, then that had to be evaluated by the special education department of the school and turned into an individual education plan to uh, accommodate that student because they have a a learning or behavioral disability or disorder. So I, I started looking into things. I started researching and uh, reading books and, and asking questions. And uh, I became friends with the counselor at the school at that time. I, I was not yet a school counselor. Um, and I was in our office one day and I saw this big book of CBT. That, that was the actual name of the book. Big book of CBT. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Strategies to Use in the Classroom. So that book caught my eye because I knew cognitive means, you know, uh, something going on in the, in the psyche, in the, uh, in the schema. And, and so I opened up that book and I opened up a, a treasure trove of activities to do to help accommodate my two students that I had been given my two babies that had these labels and so I asked like the classic teacher does can I borrow your book and I did like the average teacher does I never gave her the book back (laughs) and I laugh about that because she offered the book to me she she saw how passionate I became about um, using these strategies um, with these two babies of mine. And it was nothing more than the emotions and feelings charts with the, the different little faces, which, uh, you know, now we uh, call them emojis. So one particular activity and, and this was still uh, in, the, in the day when we had the overhead projectors. So you could take the, um, the um, little plastic paper. It's been so long, I can't. The transparency. You could take the transparency and put it on the overhead projector. And you, the students would see the different little emotion faces. And they would connect them to the emotion words. And then in our circle time in the morning, we would talk about feelings. I, I started going on and, and checking out books from the library. Um, there were so many books out there about uh, emotions and feelings and things. And so I started reading those books and the whole group was getting it. But my two babies, they were getting it too. And they were everybody was benefiting from it. So we started talking about um, group work and 
anybody that's taught kindergarten before, you know, it's sinners. Uh, kindergarten classroom is a very lively classroom. You got the kitchen center. I had my sand table. Oh my God, my little student ex, he would get this sand and throw it in the student's eyes and get it in the girl's hair. And so we started talking about when I do bad, I feel bad. And when I do good, I feel good. And I started getting him to connect how he felt when he did those inappropriate things. Even though he might have got some little validation out of it in the initial actual throwing the sand. After the act was over, you could tell that he did not, he he wasn't in a good mood. He was just angry. He was just angry. But it was something, it was something internal in him that he was lashing out. So even though we're not acting as therapists in the classroom, even as a school counselor now, I, I never act as a therapist. I never act in a dual role as a as a therapist or a, an LPC because I'm in a school setting and I'm an academic counselor. But one thing as a classroom teacher and also as a school counselor, Uh, One of our responsibilities is to support students who come to us because even though there's a line drawn between what you can and cannot do ethically and legally when you're dealing with students that have social and emotional issues, we still can provide those supports because we work hand in hand with each other. Now as a school counselor, I I um, refer students out to places such as um, Marion Counseling or Heinz Behavioral Health. Um, even as, as young as second, third, fourth, first grade, I remember that um, when I was in the classroom about four years ago, when I got a little burned out with counseling and went back to the classroom, the therapists were coming to the classrooms and pulling the students Um, like I said as young as pre-k kindergarten first second grade so we're providing the CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy strategies we're pulling the strategies out of the out of the therapy method and there's lots of things out there on um, on um, on the internet. Lots of books on CBT. They're designed specifically for teachers and school counselors to support students with um, social and emotional issues and um, and and these these labels that. Um, students are given diagnoses that these students are given I also as a school counselor I've had I had the the perfect opportunity 
um, to be the counselor at a pre-K through eighth school. I was the only counselor there with about five to 600 students. Um, and it, it, it was a good experience for me as a um, starting off my counseling uh, career because I had the perfect opportunity to work with early childhood students and middle school students. And if you've had the opportunity to work with early childhood and middle school, you will see so many similarities. I'm serious. It is so weird how a lot of our children stay stuck. They don't evolve past those early childhood stages some of our students are still stuck in the concrete stage and it's sad because these students that are adolescents now still don't know how to resolve conflict they still don't know how to express themselves and they still can't make the connection between their feelings, their thoughts, and their actions. And I, I've seen a, a meme that has um, that I first saw on Twitter uh, a while back, and it says that you cannot teach the blooms until you teach the Maslow. And and that struck me because if there has not been a more truthful statement about education that is that is one we live in a society where a lot of students are coming to us broken young children are coming to us broken and there's another little thing or saying that I've seen that says broken crayons steal color So if we start showing these kids these strategies, these CBT strategies at an early age, not just our students with emotional and social emotional um, issues, but give it to all. Then you create peer supports. So you can't just single those students out You have to provide it to everybody so that everybody is getting the benefit of helping each other, building capacity for empathy, and teaching all students that when we do good, we feel good, and when we do bad, we feel bad. As I reflect back on my time at um, this pre-K through eighth grade school. Um, I had the uh, very unusual opportunity of being given a list of students that I had that I had to see every every week. It was a non-negotiable. 
every week they had to get 30 minutes of uh, individual counseling based on um, the universal screeners that they took and because of the results on their universal screeners it showed that there were some uh, elevations uh, either in uh, the external risk factors are the internal risk factors they um, were identified as at-risk students so I had to see those students and I had to write case notes on those students Um, the district that I was in at the time provided a scripted CBT program called positive action And positive action is something I believe in. And any district that wants to start off with a very good um, holistic approach to helping students who have social and emotional issues, then I would say that the research-based positive action program is by far the best I've seen and it delves off into when I do good I feel good and when I do bad I feel bad it provides students with scenarios real life scenarios so it it makes connections to real life and what's going on in their worlds and it makes it relevant and engaging to them and also puts them in a mindset that hey I'm not so different there's other kids that are doing these things and and, uh, going through the same stuff and things I'm going through because the scenarios set up those real life situations so just in retrospect of using cognitive behavioral strategies especially with um, the the younger students the uh, pre-k and kindergarten first and second grade students I can say that's where I got my biggest bang for my buck because those students are like sponges and they're just begging for help they're, they are crying out for someone to show them the way, show them the light. So as I wrap up my second episode, I will front load you all and uh, give you a little sneak peek into episode three, where I will be discussing some of the specific strategies of the positive action counseling program that I used and when I say counseling program these are activities and scenarios that the teachers actually use in the classrooms as well to support the students that I was seeing But like I said, it was provided to all of the students so that peer supports could be built amongst each other, amongst the students. 
and uh, that's how I ended up building my comprehensive uh, counseling program uh, at an EC through 8th grade school. So that will be the next topic of my episode 3. And as I sign off, I would like for you to think about students and always putting children first no matter big or small whatever labels they come with or come without they are all our children and they are all the future and so we have to lay groundwork and put things in place to secure our future this has been your host, Marion Robinson, and thank you for taking out time to listen. Have a good evening.